I couldn't help at one point in my discussions with, privately with General Secretary Gorbachev. When you stop to think that we're all God's children, wherever we may live in the world, I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held if suddenly there was a threat to this world from some other species from another planet outside in the universe. We'd forget all the little local differences that we have between our countries and we would find out once and for all that we really are all human beings here on this earth together. Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 5, entitled The Gift of the Magi. What did we just hear, Aaron? So that was a speech that Ronald Reagan gave in 1985 after a summit with uh, then-Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev. Okay. Where he's expressing, uh, you know, the desire to, if, if, if aliens <laughs> Independence Day style would attack, could, could the USSR and the USA band sure. together against their their mutual threat and the article i got that from which is something on the decider uh mentions that the reagan was kind of not obsessed well actually the title was ronald reagan's ufo obsession i don't know sure. if he's obsessed with it but he is a product of that generation that you know culminated in the close encounters of third kind and et and mm-hmm. yeah i remember at the time a lot of inquirer it was always showing like Reagan and Nancy meeting with the bug-eyed alien. And, That's right. You know, great. Yeah. You do you remember that? Like that I, was I've like, seen the photos. I don't remember it. But, yeah, so and stuff yeah. like this that kind of uh, f- fueled that fire. Um, but I thought it's interesting. Are we heading to a Fargo where Kansas City and Fargo put aside their differences to attack the alien menace? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a surprising outcome for this season. We'll know for sure if Ed starts asking for sugar water. <laughs> he There's plenty looks, of room in there, man. He kind of hollow him out. I also saw there's a, a theory in the forum, which I think was advanced semi-seriously, that this is going to be the origin story of Lorne Malvo from season one. and That, that he's gonna, an alien? Yeah, that he actually wow. is a, an alien killing machine. That's interesting. And the thing is, like, I... I don't want to dismiss any of these theories because I could see them and I happening. I could see that being really awesome and fun. Yeah, it's hard to dismiss any theory at this point, really, because we know kind of where last season went. It went to places we didn't expect. Exactly. Um, both semi supernatural yeah. places and time and it jumps. seems like they're they're hinting heavily at this alien thing, and it's I, I don't know if it's it's starting to lose me just because they haven't done anything with it yet. And it's all hints, and we're five. We're halfway through the season, and it's just been hint after hint each episode. And I'm like, where could this possibly go that is interesting to me? Like, do I expect to see aliens by the end of this show? By the end of this season? What's what it's, you say it's losing you? Because I think that's interesting. Because like I've they haven't done anything to progress that plot point at all. They just it's keep literally just it. here's another hint that aliens are out there. Here's yeah. another hint that people are thinking about aliens. They haven't moved that forward at all, and it's, it's starting to get old. Huh. It's because I don't – I feel like that if a 30-second aside with Betsy kind of looking at her child's fo- uh, 
you know, drawing, crayon drawing and new light doesn't really bother me. And, and like I said a few podcasts ago, unlike the Fishnado, which kind of blindsided me with what I thought the universe yeah. was doing and what it's actually doing, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, this is, I'm walking into eyes open. Like, this is going to pay Definitely. off thematically at least if there's actually aliens, so much the better. And if, if it's not like an eye-rolling you know, cliche or just stupid, but I don't expect that. Like, you know, Noah Hawley is at least as smart as I am. And it seems like he's got an eye towards what would be satisfying and, and, and on all that. And I don't feel like this thing was rushed into production. So I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I got I, a faith that, and, and, and I, man, the other thing is, if you think about the, like the George Martin three-step reveal process we've talked about, this is almost a reverse it's too much reveal, it's too telling well it, well it's gone backwards like the only thing we learn about the aliens here is that molly has seen something or has some kind of premonition about them so- something they're in molly's head right like yeah. we've already fucking seen ufos flying through the and sky Hansi and now a drawing is kind of reverse of and hansi we think got abducted for two hours P- and potentially probed, who knows yeah by a race of super intelligent white rabbits so, I, so, like, this hint did nothing to further that for me. Hmm. It was just there to say, hey, remember the alien thing? I mean, I guess my position is every single time it pops up, because I kind of forget. Like, I'm in the middle of Fargo, and it's this gripping, tri- you know, true, quirky yeah. crime drama, and then, oh, shit, yeah, that's right, there are aliens in here. So maybe you do need the reminder. And, and also, <laughs> like, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't really consciously know this about Ronald Reagan. Certainly didn't, wasn't aware of the speech he gave, and having that be yet another thing that reinforces yeah. Is, takes it back to being cool for me. And it might have been part of, you know, the planning process for this season. They they say, okay, we want to do it. Yeah, what was going on? About... We want to go back to Lou. And he, he had to yeah. Vietnam and, like, what era does it need to be and what was going on? You yeah. had American malaise and you had UFOs <laughs> and you had... Ronald Reagan giving speeches about those things. Yeah, and... belted leisure suits with leather mm-hmm. trench coats and mute assassins. And, I yeah, I don't know what like, all goes into the idea hopper. Yeah. But no, I'm digging it. I thought but this... that was that was really the only thing I didn't like about this episode. So, and you know, uh, a resounding, uh, we got a resounding vote for yes. Continue doing the who won the week. Uh, and okay, I I saw them back to back. Fargo. I saw the leftovers first in Fargo, and I remember being stunned and thinking, "Man, this is going to be like a this round is going to be a split." But now I think that Fargo won it. By like a you know a ten nine split, that's amazing to me. I would say the exact opposite. You think Fargo won? I, I think Leftovers won it. That's what I just said. No, you didn't actually say that. Okay, that's what you meant. <laughs> I oh did yes. You oh, would sorry, say sorry, I think le- Fargo won it okay, by a ten nine yeah, split, and I'm I, like, what? I think the Leftovers won it by by okay. a notch. But here's the thing. I totally agree. For some, this Fargo episode felt much more cinematic to me. Like I felt like I was really watching a movie. The leftovers. Okay. I don't know what I'm watching. I'm watching some kind of psychology experiment, and it's 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 awesome. Yeah. But this, you know, things really happen. Like people died. Like uh, an intensity to the war that I wasn't expecting for quite a while. Uh huh. Like Joe Bulow dying, and one of the Kitchen Brothers. That's super surprising to me. So like that kind of all the muscle that we've seen now has yeah. been decimated, right? Like they've got a lot of it. One kitchen brother and Mike Milligan, who we know are badasses. Yes, I was going to say, that's not nothing. It's not nothing, but I don't think they're a threat by themselves to the Gerhardt Ranch. Yeah, but you know who the worst threat to the Gerhardts are? 
themselves. The Gerhards. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like, yeah, God. it feels like especially now they could do one final push and, and beat them. But there's, you know, uh, Dodd putting Bear's son Charlie in the line of fire and this stuff going on with Simone and the mother being mm-hmm. – uh, you know, the mom, uh, Floyd being down on that and Dodd being super reckless like this, you know, they lost a lot of muscle too. And Hansi, they did like, lose I some muscle. Yeah. Uh, that what? Hmm. what? Okay. Let's talk about Hansi first. Well, I, I wanted to say that I only mentioned that because I know that Kansas city has more gas in the tank and, and what that could be is entirely up in the air. Now. That's true. But we it's intimidating. See... It's scary. Uh, I mean, they could sh- send up a young Lauren Malvo and then, like, yeah. oh, God, yeah. Fargo's fucked. But do you think – I want to talk about Hanzi. Why is Hanzi so crazy loyal to Dodd? That's a really good question. Because Dodd seems like he's racist, doesn't really appreciate him, uh-huh. expects loyal – like, I, I feel like we're in for a flashback that shows them as kids and some kind of really meaningful moment that he won – the the heart of Hanzi forever, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe the old maybe he's really loyal to Otto, and Otto had a private conversation about you know he's the one that if, if anything happens to me, boy, this is the guy at the back. Because yeah. after he, I watched this conversation with him and Bear a couple of times because I was trying to figure out what's going on with Hanzi because he's kind of impenetrable. Yeah, and I remember the first time I watched it thinking that maybe he really had a tough battle between like, you know, lying to Floyd versus loyalty to Dodd and loyalty to Barry. But the more I watched it, the more like what I was seeing as hesitancy to lie to Floyd was more like, God, Dodd, this is a shitty lie to tell. Like, like, how am I going to spin it the way you like, this is a (laughs) desperate and you're a shitty liar. And I can't believe your mom's buying it. I I read it more of that. And then, Uh When Bear goes up to try to say, look, you know, I consider you family and you've always got a place at her table and it's not just Dodd thing, nothing. That did mm-hmm. not affect him at all. So yeah. what the hell is going on with Hanzi? He's obviously just super – I mean, okay, maybe he's super loyal to Otto, but he's obviously also super loyal to Dodd in whatever way that came about. Yes, I'm, I'm the, the auto thing was a speculation. We can yeah, yeah. certainly say that he is true blue. There is not a hint of him being a double agent for No. Floyd. No, absolutely not. I mean, he wouldn't have made, he wouldn't have lied like that. Uh and and he's willing to start this war over it, you know, where he's going to be in the thick of things. Yeah, so, he's on I mean, I don't think he values his own life. D- not not particularly or he's supremely confident. <laughs> With his skills. Well, but, I mean, you, you go with that, that's talking about Vietnam, where he's uncomfortable with the winter and how quiet uh, it is. And, like, yeah. uh, maybe he doesn't value, it's not saying he doesn't value his own life, but. He's more of a Noreen here, you know? What's the point? Yeah. Just going to do what you're going to gonna be, do so while like, you're alive. And... Maybe he's backing Dodd because Dodd is the guy that is pushing for war and, you know, is going to keep him in the mix and is going to give him a chance to vent out some of his aggression or his rage or his, you know, like I said. It'll make things wh- interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I, feel like it's, that's key to figuring out this this family and the, the politicals. Like, why is Hanzi doing the things he's doing? And is there any, mm-hmm. any world in which he switches allegiances? It doesn't seem like it. Seems like he is loyal to the end. What do you think? So... I was watching this episode, and I remember thinking, well, R.I.P. Aaron Simone is actually a double agent for the family theory. 
But then when I okay. watched it again, I got a second win with <laughs> Floyd coming in. Maybe. Sure. Speaking of questionable loyalty. Maybe Floyd is is working out something with her, her granddaughter that she is going to be playing Mike Milligan. And the reason I say this is because there's a lot of subtle hints with Mike. You know, the whole thumb up the ass. You, you surprised me. Mm-hmm. She surprised him once. She can surprise him again. Okay. I, he doesn't probably doesn't have any more holes to surprise, <laughs> but I, I get your meaning. Sure. Straight for the ear hole. You never expect the ear hole. Oh, my nostril. You surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> Getting find it hard to breathe when, when you got both thumbs jammed up like that. Uh, I I don't know. I don't want to give up because otherwise Simone seems just like a scared little girl. And, and she could be just up on. That's true. She that's, could be just that. But I'm always looking for. You know, when you see characters like that in Fargo, what is their, you know, if you, you, you what is their worst self and what's their best self? And I feel like we've seen yeah. her worst self, her her lowest. But I don't, and, and maybe I don't know. Maybe that scene where she scared the typewriter king of Fargo. Uh, maybe that was her best self, but I don't buy mm-hmm. it. And it also makes you wonder, you know, when you're talking about people who probably shouldn't be duped very easily, what is going through Floyd's head? Floyd starting this war on false information. That was does such, she a, have, that's such a flimsy lie. I know. Does she have Do you, but, other plans? Is she because she clearly doesn't want to start a war? Yeah, but like if you, so I'm trying to think like if you got word that your son is dead, the the baby of the family. Like I have imagined that that's emotionally that's like a bomb going off, and you're like, yeah, and your your tunnel vision, and she's kind of seemed to be fixated on his buckle, so maybe she's not. And, 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 you know, bears, like, all vision blurred because he's crying. Maybe they don't see the Dodds, that story that he got out. You don't have, like, you can't, like, DVR rewind. Like, what? Did he stutter? Yeah, yeah. Did, did he stammer? What, did, what is he getting his story right? And I guess that they think that Hansi's so crazy loyal to the family that when she says, I need to hear it from him, that she has some faith that he's not going to just tell a bear face lie. Pardon the the bear joke, <laughs> and, and that kind of lines up with how Bear felt about Hansi as well. So, but Bear, if you just trust Hansi at yeah. his word at all costs, then I suppose they could believe that lie. But Whereas yeah. they might not believe it coming from Dot. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. So let's talk about this hunting party. Okay, massacre with some politician. It was the, the zoning commissioner. Zoning commissioner? Okay. Which I feel like that's, you know... It's pretty low pretty, level. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, you zone... That's, I feel like they have a lot of behind-the-scenes power. And the, talking you about know, making money and, like... Yeah, yeah. When you can, like, take something residential and zone it yeah. commercial or industrial and you can... Keep you, other people from getting their buildings zoned. you can approve permits and, and not approve permits. Yeah. Like, that's, you know, bread and butter for you know, uh, organized crime. So sure. he would be arguably more powerful than going after some of the higher profile politicians because this is a way to un, you know wield power unseen yeah um but he gets he gets they, they get attacked Kansas City mafia gets blindsided by the Gerhards and it, there is a nice little pace to this battle like it looks like it's just going to be a massacre and then the 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 kitchen brothers come out and they start regulating mm mm-hmm. And it looks like, oh, no, the Kansas City is going to survive fairly untouched. And then Hansi comes out of nowhere with a knife. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this scene really sells the bald move rule number two, which is play dead. 
because we got the one guy got his leg blown off by a shotgun trying feebly to go for his gun. Yeah, you, come you, on, you're man. dead. You're come dead. On. Like you don't have a great survival rate out in the snow with a blown off leg, but but it's better. Than it's better shotgun than to the head. The Kitchen Brothers mopping you up. Yeah. Where the Kitchen Brother obviously played dead when Hanzi got his face, and Hanzi just. I le- that- don't think. I think that's a message. So. Here's the thing. We we know that Joe Bulow's head ends up with Mike Milligan, right? And, and, and Dot asked, did you up. send the message? Packaged up, yeah. So obviously they wanted somebody to survive to deliver Joe Bulow's head. Uh, the Kitchen Brothers are the only ones who know where Mike Milligan is. Okay. Now, Simone knows, but they don't know that. Yeah, yeah, right. right. So we think. <laughs> we're pretty, yeah. <laughs> it gets- I mean, that might be evidence that Simone actually isn't a double agent because mm-hmm. they left one of the Kitchen Brothers alive. If- mm-hmm. Although... It's pretty suspicious if they send Simone. Uh, that tips their hand that they know that Simone's working with Mike Milligan. So yeah. they they might not want to do that anyway. So maybe it doesn't prove anything. But yeah. uh, I, I think what happens here is, yeah, they're sending a message, and Kitchen Brother is the only guy who knows where Mike Milligan is, so they leave him alive. Hmm. That's a and I yeah I, I don't mean hmm, like I don't believe you that was actually because I was straining my brain like man I just don't buy the Hanzi doesn't do the yeah. follow up stab like good and on Alan you for Seppenwall faking being was dead. too and I I was like there's a pretty yeah. so I started thinking about reason. it and I came up with the same it, it clicked to me the second time I watched it when Dodd said did you send the message I'm like yeah. well yeah if, if you killed everyone then there's no message there's no message to be sent so I mean you'd have to hope that the message found its way to Mike but. Yeah. That's but, not a sending of a message. Uh, yeah. Uh, should we talk about the Ronald Reagan bus coming to North Dakota? As long as we can talk about Bruce Campbell having a stellar Ronald Reagan voice. He's got, you know, it is some people like poo-poo in the fact he doesn't look exactly like Ronald eh, Reagan. Yeah, he doesn't look a lot but like Ronald But my God, uh, you know, there's, the, I feel like that he completely embodied the a certain type of public perception of Ronald Reagan. Okay, yeah. Like, and, and, and honestly, I was really on board. I thought the scene in the bathroom, I don't know. It didn't set, I mean, full disclosure, my grandfather died after like five years of in-stage in, in Alzheimer's. So I might be a bit sensitive, but I thought there were some cheap shots with Reagan. Like, hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's all funny, and it's Fargo Universe and whatever, and the fact that he's just an empty suit, and he confuses his war story, war stories with, with film stories and, you know, yeah. can't keep details. But, you know, that guy got elected two times to the United States, the second one in a landslide. He had more policy beyond just, you know, they almost make him Donald Trumpian. We're going to win. How are we going to win? Well, we just are. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's especially the point since of the there's scene. some serious, you could, you, there's actually some real hay to be made with some of Reagan's policies. You know, like you could actually be specific and less kind of cheap shot on him. I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't I, like I that like, second scene. I felt like that was less to do with any kind of forgetfulness than it was to do with just showing that he his words are kind of empty here. Mm-hmm. You know that the the stuff he's preaching about family and liberty and raising the country up. Uh, is all good unless you don't have a plan and then it's useless. But on the other hand, if, you know, like Jimmy Carter is saying, America is strong and suffering from a crisis of conscience because of several, you know, blows coming from different directions in short period, maybe you need some sunshine blowing up your ass. Like that's, that's the, it's, uh, you know, like Ronald Reagan, like if you want to be completely uncharitable is the placebo for America. Sure. 
Yeah. Like, uh, he's saying everything's great, and he's this good-looking guy, and he's strong, and he's tough-talking against Russians, so we all pick mm-hmm. our, you know, we, we, we get off our ass and, and, and get back to the business of, of being a country again. Yeah, he's the sugar. Uh, I mean, it, we, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, I think, mm-hmm. um, where he's kind of, you know, Carter's, Carter's talking one thing about responsibility and kind of putting the consequences of people's actions sure. on their heads. And this guy's selling a fiction that, well, not, maybe not even a fiction, you yeah. know, he, but he's spinning a story that is far more positive. He's like, we're already great and we'll be great again. We, we, we're yeah. great. We're just, we're for whatever reason, not getting the fruitage of our greatness. We should just, you know, reach out and grasp it. Sure. Be that shining city on, on the hill. But it's, I thought it was interesting because the effect it had on people, like Carl being moved to tears and then, you know, refusing to shake his hand because but this man doing it anyway. This man acted with the monkey, be undignified. And then Nick Offerman's got that gift of being his gruff, badass, like face of granite, and then he just becomes a goofy <laughs> guy who giggles. And that's one of the uh-huh. best I think that's one of his best gags, like you know, where he can go from Ron Swanson to Ron Swanson giggling and it's completely different, but still internally believable. Yeah, I didn't care for this joke. I thought really, I it was so obvious, so obvious. Maybe Telegraphed I just, from maybe, the beginning. Maybe I just have Parks and Rec withdrawal. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, he sells it like as much as you can sell that predictable yeah. joke. And he does it all the fucking time. Like, have you seen his American Hand stand up thing, which is right now on, on, on Netflix? It's good. Yeah. But he does that all the time. Like he swings between this rugged mountain man dispensing rough and ready wisdom uh-huh. to this this long giggling story about him going down on his wife. It's he, okay. he and it, like that's right. kind of his like you know Rodney Dangerfield. It's like you can't say ah oh, well he's you know he, I went to Rodney Dangerfield. He wouldn't get off that. I get no respect shtick. It's like that is his shtick, man. <laughs> You, there's like going yeah. to Gallagher's. What's this with the fucking watermelons? <laughs> like you knew going in that you're going to have some watermelons smashed. Yeah, you, can't, I, you, you can't, didn't bring a poncho. That's on you. you. <laughs> yes, you can't complain. You can't complain. It's not like he, you know, um, like uh, Man in the Moon, Andy Kaufman. Yep. You could complain about going to Andy Kaufman, and he decides to read you a bedtime story for the entire stick instead of making you laugh and then taking you out for milk and cookies at the end. Uh-huh. Maybe that's beside the point, but you could honestly say, like, I got bait and switched. You can't say that, Nick Offerman. <laughs> He's going to sometimes giggle like a girl. It's true. But, yeah, for me, the thing that really sells Bruce Campbell as Ronald Reagan is the voice. I thought he nailed it. Yeah. No, like I said, he. I didn't – I saw the campaign posters, and I thought, well, that's kind of funny. You know, Bruce sure. Campbell – uh, as Ronald Reagan, just a visual gag was pretty funny. But he spent a lot of time. I saw an interview where he's like, "I've been doing Reagan impersonations for kicks for years." Oh, okay. Like I just is something that I didn't even know would be useful one day. But is this something you know? I, eh, well, and <laughs> he he nailed it. I feel like I've seen him do a Reagan in something else. Maybe I don't know, but I can't recall what that is. Uh, I've seen I, him I do a, an Elvis in a nursing home. Sure, yeah. Uh, what, so we're watching this massacre happen that we talked about in the woods. We know this doesn't happen in Sioux Falls. It happens in Fargo, right? Yes. So this can't be the massacre either. No, no. We've seen so many people die at this point that it's really building up the steam for this massacre, for the official Sioux Falls massacre, right? Like bodies stacked so high yeah. you can walk out a fifth story window onto them. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City must be sending some big reinforcements if there's going to be a massacre of that scale. Yeah, well, so 
I don't want to step on the feedback too much because there's a couple of hot takes on this, but ah, okay, you know, who we know that Peggy is going to go to Sioux Falls, or at least if she gets out from underneath this murder rap thing. Uh, and yeah, I don't the, know that the, they I, have anything on Ed. I think the cops are just pulling up to question them. They don't have anything on Ed. I mean, yes, he killed a man, but it was completely self defense. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now they might have questions about why would this man want to kill you? Sure. But You're he right. just says, I have no clue. And he's out of it. Right. You're right. I guess, I guess it's going to be interesting. And you know, the next week's title, the rhinoceros, which, um, you know, a couple of emailers helped us appreciate the whole connection to the absurdist movement of that, or this is a, yeah. a stage play about a man who everyone around him turns into a rhinoceros and he's the last man who's still like a human. And what that means, like I could see Ed playing that role, where okay. from his perspective, I've not changed, man. I'm still the guy who wants to live in this town with my butcher shop and with my sweet wife and have a lot of kids. And now Lou's mean to me, and these people are coming out to kill. My <laughs> wife is selling me out. Like it could be dark, dark times for Ed next episode. And I suppose the cops, like Lou, clearly understands what happened with yes. with Ed and Peggy and like Rye. when he calls. Uh, yeah, I've uh, been Ben yeah. Schmidt over the radio. He essentially says play by play. He's read the screenplay. He knows what's happened. Yeah. So I guess, you know, there's evidence out there. We know with mm-hmm. blood in his car and stuff like that. I guess they could be coming to question him also about that. Yeah. Like if they're going to, if they're going to talk to him about the murders, why not? But well, plus not sure. Peggy sold the car mm-hmm. to Sonny and Sonny could detail it. And maybe he finds the blood and there's a connection, but I'm losing the train of my, this theory of that somehow Ed and Peggy are going to be in Sioux Falls, and it's yeah. like Ed is the mask. Like, you know, we wow. see he's a man of action. Yeah, sure. And probably. I, we've seen him kill two guys, maybe three. Yeah, there's two, this two, line at two the fellas. end. Two <laughs> This line at the end where he's talking with Peggy. Well, I, I went to work today, and I killed another fella, maybe two. I killed two. a fella, maybe two. Yeah. And it's just like, he's so derpy and just like... Sure. You almost buy that you know, it's an accident, you know? Yeah, this I, is what he's done unarmed. Like, if, if you yeah. put a gun in his head or if he's secretly an alien cockroach, uh, uh, yeah. what can happen? Or if Lauren Malvo teleports down and starts mm-hmm. laying. So, yeah, I could see, like, a a, a, a wellspring or life spring, well life, life well, whatever the, the yeah. multi-level marketing cult is. I could see a massacre amongst that convention because the Gerhardt... Here's the thing. The no, Gerhardt's have to win... For that to happen, right? Yeah. Because Kansas City wouldn't give a shit. No. So this implies that the, the Gerhards do win perhaps a Furyk victory, but yeah, yeah, I guess. In the process of going after Ed, they're, I mean, the cops could be involved, Maybe certainly. that's what... Like, they're chasing down Ed, the, the Gerhards are chasing down Ed, they end up at this convention, and just people, all of these women who've gone to this convention are just... Gunned down by yeah. Ed and the Gerhards and the yeah. cops and yeah, it could get nasty. Yeah, yep. I, and I wonder that's a pretty good theory with with it being the convention that she's going to. And also, can we draw like so? Let's just run with this theory. So we figured it out. Uh, the, right. the Gerhards win. Uh, does that imply Floyd's on top? Because would Dodd care about going after the butcher since he knows that's all a fiction? Like, made does that imply that Floyd wins and she's still acting on this? Because here's <laughs> the thing. Interesting. Am I crazy or am I thinking that Ed has sold this butcher theory really, really well? Like Dodd sent down an assassin and, yeah, granted, Bear's son. But this guy almost killed them both. 
yeah. with with a cleaver and then blew up the shops to cover his tracks and then <laughs> then tried to get away and and but but the cops nabbed him before he could he could make good his getaway like if from a certain unless you start th- finding out well actually he saved uh, yeah he did save charlie so that's the charlie. one thing that but but if you hear that story and you don't have the full background that's going to look like oh yeah this guy's a real badass like he's a he's yeah. a super problem so if if dot ends up de- dead and floyd or and or bear end up winning i could see them devoting a lot of resources to to killing him in in sioux falls somehow he gets out yeah maybe he goes maybe after all this craziness to get out of jail because the cops got nothing to hold him on they uh-huh. decide to both go yeah. You know, the shop's gone. We got this extra money. It's enough for a ticket for you, Ed. Why don't you come with me? Because there's a little bit of Peggy coming to Ed's side. There is. Yeah. I mean, she has a sudden change of heart. And I think part of that may be because he kind of took charge in this episode and said, I've, we've got something that we can make yeah. from all of this. And she started realizing, okay, maybe if, if, if he's a man of conviction and not this just tub of lard uh derpy sock wearing sex having guy yeah that she's seen before maybe there's something more to him that she's interested in now yeah and i'm I w- not sure exactly what she changes her mind here's the thing so she's you know peggy after she goes to ed and ed gives him that speech uh she's like fuck this i'm out uh, packs up everything a couple of her lady magazines uh, mm-hmm. and and goes off to the repair shop a uh, little fun fargo note is the the song that was playing on that bus ride over is the same song that uh, Jose Feliciano was covering at in the celebrity room when uh, uh, what's the guy's name was it Carl is Carl that the, Showalter yeah it's the Steve Buscemi uh-huh. role when he took the his whore out to show her a good time yeah and he's like yeah you know you got the Jose Feliciano got no complaints in the Fargo movie in the Fargo oh, movie yeah thank you. Uh, well, I figured Steve Buscemi. It should sell it, yeah. Yeah, should that, tell, yeah. that should sell the, the, the reference. She goes to pick up her car. She has this change of heart, and I think maybe it's because Sonny is just... I don't know. There's something about... Something about his dopiness and the fact that she's completely... Bl- like, he completely doesn't suspect any kind of foul play, and even with her saying, don't cash this until the end of the week. In fact, make it a month. And he's just completely, sure thing, Peggy, whatever. The fact that he's being yeah. blindsided made her think that this is unfair to Ed. But it's weird because huh, okay. the bus ride back, I think, is the more telling one, because Peggy gets on, and she's clearly pleased with herself. I've done the right thing. This is going to make Ed happy. And then... It's a 30-second just tight shot of her face. Well, not real tight, but tight shot of her profile, and she starts frowning and then starts thinking kind of like, you know, what have, what have I done? Uh, and distant as, the, as hmm. the scene goes on. So I think, like, maybe... And then she gets home with Ed, and she's almost like, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like the real Peggy. She's, like, super excited and saying, you know, I've been thinking and this. Like, she's trying to sell herself. So I, I don't know. But, yeah... I, that yeah, long she, ramble is just to say that I can see her and Ed go into the wellspring to try to save their marriage. And comedy ensues. Yeah, I mean, she's giving up whatever. It could just be a consequence of her realizing, well, I've given up whatever California dream I had uh, in order to fulfill Ed's dream, which is the family and the butcher shop and all that stuff. And she's it's dawning on her that she's given that up. But I... I don't know. I didn't really read anything false into this this final scene with them, where she's mm-hmm. like, 
I did this for for us, and I did this for you, and sold the car, and here's the money. Well, yeah, and you know, also really... the gift of the Magi. That's that was a uh, oh yeah a that's literal that, that's a literal fulfillment of the title with yeah. with that. I sold the car to get you what you want. Whoops, you can't use it. Yeah, and I burnt down the bar to save her life, and now I want to do the thing <laughs> you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah it's 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 kind of cool. But before we move on from this scene, I gotta say, like the Chevy Corvair might be unsafe at any speed. But it looked really good in this episode. I thought, yeah, it was awesome. I thought it looked really, I, I, man, that's a fine looking car. Like the front cock windshield, how like cockpit it is, and I even like the crazy color combination, like the seafoam green with the bright turquoise, and I'm not sure if that's even uh-huh. the right color. Vivid blue interior, like you don't get yeah. shit like that nowadays. No, you have to like custom order. It's that like pick or... gray, tan, or black. Black, uh-huh. if and that that's your, your choices. Yeah, uh, yeah. So again, might be a might be a death trap, but it's a good looking death trap. I agree. Uh, I even like the kind of vaguely European uh, trunk in the front and motor in the back setup. Yeah, that was. I I didn't realize that it had that setup. I didn't either until it was like uh, you know, Sonny. I know you're stupid, but you can't be packing the luggage in the in, in the, <laughs> the engine compartment engine. like that. No, I thought you, you were can't. a mechanic, but no, he does know that thing. The other thing, but I don't know if we're coming back to this scene or not, but I just wanted to say how awesome that scene with Ed in the butcher shop was. Like when when he when he's fighting these two guys, Charlie and the the other. Oh, assassin. I definitely yeah. That's the next thing I want to move in. So Charlie, Charlie and the butcher factory. So you know, I thought it was good. I, I like the scene where he talks Dodd into letting him go down there, and I, I thought it was pretty ballsy for him to say, you know, a real. A real boss. Was it a real boss is what he said? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure if his comments were going to get him slapped or Well, especially, rewarded. Like, and I don't even know if Dodd knew until he decided to laugh and like, oh, yeah, send the kid. But it, I thought it was interesting because yeah. they've had this Noreen character, this this mousy kind of uh, awkward girl reading these philosophy uh-huh. books, this whole, and you're like, what is her deal? Is she? And it seems like the, maybe she was put on this this Fargo Earth to be the exact type of girl kryptonite that would make Charlie lose his nerve. Yeah. And do you think that's all there is to it? Or is there going to be something with these two from here on out? I don't know what could possibly come of it. I mean, Charlie's clearly going to jail. Uh, I mean, he's going to the hospital and jail. It's true. (laughs) He tried to kill somebody. He's got a gun. Yeah, and Noreen saw that, and I... If Noreen still wants him after that, that's a little weird. To well, me. yeah, I mean, she did say insist that Ed drag him out, but you know, she was shocked by yeah. Ed cleavering the dude's head, and you know, it's <laughs> it's hard to turn off your human empathy towards people. The other thing I I kind of feel for Ed. So you got this girl who clearly is reading all these books and uh, has a good, a fairly good grasp on philosophy mm-hmm. and understands this stuff, and well, she's, she's just running circles she's around him, confronting Ed with. <laughs> These existential ideas that he cannot even comprehend. Right. And he has no defense when she's like, why don't you just kill yourself? Yeah, and he's like, well, that's not the American dream. She's like, but life is pointless. <laughs> uh-huh. And it, I, I mean, I have a good defense. Why haven't you killed yourself, Noreen? Mm. You're the one who's thought about this. she lacks conviction. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, kill yourself. I'll be right behind you. Trust yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but poor Ed. Poor Ed, and especially in this moment, right? Because he knows the threat is looming. He's he's concerned already about, I may have a very, very near death 
at my hands. Mm-hmm. So that that's an even more pressing concern for him. Not not his grandfather who lived in ninety three or whatever. It's kind of tragedy though, because Charlie, you know, the reality versus the the theory of killing this guy. Yeah, and, you know, he's believing the official story that this guy killed Rye and and whatnot. And he goes down there and he he loses his nerve and ends up buying bacon or something. I also liked when Ed came out and he looks like. Oh yeah, he, yeah. He he does look like the butcher of Laverne, you know, and he's uh-huh. got the dead eye and he's blood spattered. And then we see the 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 Ed we know and love. He comes out with the 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 bacon, and then he's ca- trying to call his dad. And I got from that scene that he was essentially saying, "I don't. This is not for me." Yep. I have, ju- but why then did he insist on? Why doesn't he just go back to the car and say, you know, whatever grizzled hitman, you do it, not me. I'm not totally sure because that seemed like I thought that's what was that that's what was going to happen, and yeah, I'm like, me oh, too. okay, well, good for you, kid. You can go be the lawyer or whatever. Maybe you can, you know, come back for Noreen one day and you know embroil her in some kind of Michael Corleone shit uh, when you take over and become a soulless killing machine. Yeah, that was surprising to me as well. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you why he went back in. I don't either, except for he was afraid of his. He's trying to split the difference between fear letting down his uncle Dodd, who he clearly idolizes to some extent, and also the fact that he's afraid for himself and he doesn't want to disappoint his father and clearly doesn't want to die. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what all is going on there myself. I have a fairly dark question for you. Okay. How much of Dodd letting Charlie get mixed up in this situation is him realizing the kid wants to prove himself and giving him an opportunity versus this is a guy who's not going to be on my side when the shit hits the fan because he's Bear's kid. Let's see what he can do, Ooh. A, and potentially have him not come back from this. So it's one of those things where any eventuality is a win for him. Yeah. Hmm. I don't, Dodd's not that smart, is he? I don't think so, and my read on the scene doesn't seem like that was his plan. Like, he yeah. was going to send the, the killer to go make sure the dead, and, the, you know, Charlie comes up saying, I need to prove myself, and I shot and reloaded... Uh, yeah. last week and Dodd kind of getting angry but then thinking about it it's like oh yeah you know whatever and plus fuck you bear I mean that's the thing there's so okay, much okay it was just a thought I don't, I don't no I I don't even know that you're wrong it's just that that's the contra side of it sure and I'm leaning more toward that because also Dodd just uh, keeps making me think that he's dumb yeah and and also and bear kind of says as much right yeah like when he goes she goes after bear with both barrels like uh you like being ordered by a woman in fact you probably let your wife who we know died uh your your, your dead wife fuck you up the ass and he, the way he says it he kind of like breaks eye contact with bear and looks away like he's kind of it was kind of a cowardly scene and Bear's just kind of looming there saying, you know, one of these days, brother's going to be a reckoning. And that's the thing and that makes me... And then you see me... that he's got his son killed, and you think, oh, man, next week, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. This whole family's going to turn inside out here. Yeah. But uh, Dodd is, Dodd's a fool, and I don't think that he would have that complicated a plan. And it's specifically how he deals with Bear here that makes me think he's a fool, and how Bear handles it so well. Yeah. B- Bear is, is more philosophical about it, whereas Dodd's just making crude jokes and... You know, I don't get the impression that Dodd is particularly smart. 
No, and I don't know that even Bear is particularly smart, but Bear is aware of the limits of himself and where he fits into the world, yeah. and, which I guess technically automatically makes him smarter than Yeah, than he's at least considered these things. <laughs> yes, and he realizes that his mom's the best one to get him through this crisis, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. The other thing about this scene is this hitman that they send in with Charlie. Yeah. Uh, I forget his name, Virgil or something. I don't know. Virgo, name. maybe. Uh, this guy's got a scar that really sold how much of a badass he was or how much of a dirtbag he was. I like, s- that around-the-eye scar yeah. feels intentional. It, it doesn't no. feel like something you just accidentally get. And, you know, the other thing I first thought is, like, well, it's a war wound. He, like, had a, at some point, okay. he had his skull peeled off around his face and put back together. Oof. And because, mm. like, you know, it's like I'm trying to think of how you would get that in civilian service, even as a gangster. And and there's also this theme that, like, the nation is overrun with these Vietnam vets. They're aimless and their country kind of That's true, doesn't yeah. know how they feel about them. And I could see them, like, taking a family. It's just like, why do kids go in gangs nowadays? Yeah. You know, it's like it's a slightly more adult version of that. You got these 18, 19, 20 year olds coming home. And they don't, you know, it's like they, they can't handle college and they're in Fargo and, you know, you got this family who says they'll take care of you and you're, you, you've, you feel like a soldier again. Like I, I that's, that's my headcanon that this guy's a Vietnam vet okay, that got co-opted by the Gerhards and he's got literal physical scars from it. I like that. Maybe he's got a plate in his head. Who knows? Sure. The other thing is what good is a smoke alarm? If it doesn't go off until the entire building is like chokingly full of smoke, like this is ridi- my smoke alarm here goes off when I cook a steak too long or too hot. Yeah, I don't know. That thing waited until smoke was billowing out of everywhere. Depends on what kind of smoke alarm it is, because or you know, fire alarm like a summer fire, only whatever, set up by yeah. heat. Like you're talking about the one that like it uses some kind of radioactive decay to detect smoke <laughs> particles. Like I don't know if they had that in the okay. late seventies. Sure, sure. Maybe it's a product of the time. I don't actually I, I know when know. was the first like that kind of sm- uh, smoke alarm installed. Like you know, because I remember in the eighties, oh. my dad was big about putting them up and like testing them. And I it made now that I, I think about it with uh, I try to peer back through thirty five years of haze. Like maybe that was like a newfangled thing. Okay, I don't know. Uh, I could probably look it up, but I'd rather just aimlessly speculate. <laughs> Uh, I also, there's a couple little scenes or things I want to talk about, like, uh, Simone visiting Mike in a hotel and how mm-hmm. <laughs> she's literally between a rock and a hard place with, she tries to back up and she runs into, uh, the, the, the surviving kitchen, kitchen brother. brother. And uh-huh. then, you know, Mike is just right there and he's being intimidating, but he also talks about like a little bit of his background, his mother and what a morose, cynical pessimist she is and mm-hmm. how he's kind of like this fake optimist in, in 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 response tries to see the upside and everything i also liked a moment where he felt the head of joe bulo where he felt it yeah because he uses the uh he, he uses the uh uh i forget what the the brand of shampoo that works in hard, hard water soft and that you remember oh, he actually felt right. yeah he felt okay. his hair which is an odd touch but it's a call back to when joe's like you're right hair. yeah Okay. I, I, I like that. Uh, I huh. like that a lot. The other thing that's happening in this scene is sexuality being used for very different oh, things. Oh, it's here. the Don Draper threatening finger bang. Yeah, coming right off the back of her trying to manipulate him 
with her sexuality, yeah. right? Well, not not even with a thumb, but she grabs him, his crotch here in this yes. episode, yes. saying like, "I'm on your side, right?" Yeah. Like, and he goes that speech about, "Yeah, you know, drinking a beer, busting a nut. It's all well and good, but what really matters to me is I know everything that happens before it happens." Yeah, which is going to be hard uh, for intimidating. If you don't buy the whole double, triple, quadruple agent thing, this is a hard assignment for her because she's already kind of being shut out of meetings because no one at home considers her a serious person. Yeah, so that's super interesting. And also, too. she's not going to be able to just come and go at the compound that she pleases anymore. So, how is she going to report to this guy? Like, if she's just a, a double agent, if she's or a single agent, or whatever the hell she'd be, <laughs> I've lost track myself. I don't know how she fulfills this responsibility without taking insane risks either way. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm I'm also That's why I thought it was so interesting that Floyd stepped in there and told Dodd to leave her yeah. alone. Even though she, why is she leaving in the middle of the war for no like And then Floyd didn't say anything else. She just mean mugs uh, Dodd, and they have that weird little boy mom relationship, but he's scheming against her. It's really complex and interesting. That's the thing with the way that he's subverting her intentions and her wishes uh, through this war thing. I can't imagine that he's going to be okay with her telling him how to discipline his daughter. But there and is that what... some weird disconnect that, like, he can do what he thinks is right and kind of pay lip service and kind of demean her, but outright defy her yeah openly mm-hmm. sure is something the little boy version of him can't do which makes me question how is this whole thing with simone going to go down like he's he's clearly still going to want to discipline his daughter uh in the ways that he sees fit but floyd is not allowing that yeah. so there's that added tension uh of their conflict yeah uh, what do you think of? I thought it's interesting. Betsy kind of staring down her pills and saying, "Well, I feel nauseous, so that must mean it's a real drug." I'm clearly, <laughs> not familiar with the actual placebo effect. You, you sure, sure. The placebo effect is in full effect. But we knew that because last we talked about this, the fact that her and Lou are both like what, sugar pills. What? What? I'm dying of cancer. <laughs> what now? Yeah. So a lot of interesting possibilities here, and you're going to all the places that I was about to go next. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Because there, there's this mention of candy in relation to these pills, and you've got Molly sitting at the table right next to this open bottle of pills. All right, okay. You're about to step. I, I want to I turn it over to one of our listeners. You okay, got, you, do it. Because, man, I, I, I'm super impressed with you, Jim Jones. Uh, Josh B. said, did it bother anyone else that Betsy left the cap off her pill bottle? Yes. She then simultaneously was... refers to the pills as the real deal and not candy when talking to Hank, and the word candy piqued Molly's attention. Uh-huh. Betsy then states she's too tired to keep her eyes open, asks Hank to watch Molly for a while. The next scene, Hank is at the burning butcher shop, and Lou shows up. What are the chances that A, Hank didn't bother to wake Betsy before leaving, or B, Betsy falls asleep leaving Molly alone with a bottle of pills? My eyes were glued to the bottle the rest of the scene. Add this to the last thing we hear Hank say as the scene cuts is, what are you drawing there, a rhinoceros? Rhinoceros happens to be the title of next week's episode. Do you think Molly is in danger of an accidental mm. overdose? That, I, My, so I, that's, we that's know a that really Hank, strong take. Hank is kind of a silent assassin here, right? Like, he's moving in and out of the house without anybody really being aware Except for Molly, like Betsy doesn't know he comes in. Right, until he does. sure, sure. Uh, but so I don't think there's going to be a scare, and, and we obviously know Molly can't die from this. She's a main character in the next season, unless she's replaced season. by a pod person. Oh my god! All right, <laughs> I don't know how far you want to go down that hole, but I, I don't want to even step in that hole. Okay, I might twist my you're gonna, ankle. You're gonna, you saw the hole. You're going around. Yes, it. I see. 
what I think would be more interesting is you have a scare where Molly has taken all the pills. She's mm-hmm. gotten in there and eaten them like candy. Turns out these are candy. placebos. These are sugar pills. I wrecked the study. What does that do to poor Betsy oh, and Jesus. Lou? Like, they're they're all worried out of their minds. Oh, my God, Molly's in trouble here. They find out, no, she's fine. Yeah. Oh, that has implications on my treatment. Sure. Oh, God. Now, sure. we're, now we're really boned. Sure. So I... I I feel like those those are both two interestingly dark outcomes from... Well, the other thing that I liked about this theory that I was going to add to my two cents is the other last thing Hank says is, don't mind us, we'll be out here eating sugar cereal and playing with my service weapon. Yep. Which is ironically dangerous things to do with a child, <laughs> but it would be really... it just be just like Fargo for it to be double ironic. Yeah. And that that's exactly what ends up happening. I mean, obviously not her playing with the service weapon, but, but eating sugar, sugar cereal yeah. and, and him like, oh my God, I got to murder Molly. You're in bed. You're going to be okay. And then Molly, you know, Molly's, uh, I, I know what it's like to be a chubby kid. You're, you're, you're hungry. You all kids want candy. All kids want candy. Not but even if, a chubby one. I'm just saying that, like, I was never the kid that could divide my Snickers bars into 16 pieces. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. always the kid that was like, I'm not, I'm not. oh, you still have candy? How do you still have candy? <laughs> Give me candy. Yeah. So I'm just saying. No delayed satisfaction in no, Aaron's no. childhood. Must, yeah, and you can see <laughs> the ravages 39 years of that philosophy has, has taken on me. Uh, sure. I think that's a more interesting way to go with it, though. Those yeah. actually being sugar pills and her getting into them. That's, yeah, for sure. Because uh, you know, Molly obviously can't die. Yeah. And eating a whole shit ton of chemo <laughs> pills is not going to be good for kids. So No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. That's, and not to do anything with it is also not super interesting, but yeah, that's another that's an X because that's the other thing is kind of a you know comedy of this a theater of the absurd is if that goes so nothing's changed in reality it's yes. your perception uh-huh. like I've been doing this charade of these sugar pills and and making myself nauseous and sick psychosomatically like it's yeah that's great Fargo stuff sure anything else that's pretty much all I had to talk about. Speaking of Charlie, I thought it was interesting how, like, you know, he's clearly practiced with his firearm in non-threatening conditions. And the first time he tries to use it for real, he limp the gun. It it jams. Then he suddenly, it's like, it's not so easy when the place is on fire and someone's trying to kill you to reload this. Everything that yeah. Dodd said is, is coming true. I thought that was a really satisfying kind of... Uh, into this character's arc whether he's really finished for real but this is definitely the end of his i want to be a gangster arc or oh is totally no I, I can't see him wanting to go back after this i know he can't he, he almost won't died. want to but what if he has to oh hmm. eh, like maybe his dad's lying bleeding out his feet and he has to you know the guns on the floor it's racked onto an empty chamber he's got to get it and load it and and finish off the thread like that so yeah, like him aspiring to be a gangster, but in you know, another interesting Fargo twist, it would be cool to see him running the Gerhards. Okay, sure. Uh, As because, because he has to. He's it's it's a truly a Michael Corleone situation. He wouldn't have been there by choice, but he gets kind of forced into it. I think some people might have questions about how that fire started in the first place. I think what happened is he shot the electrical box. Yeah, and I don't care. Like, okay. It's unless you. I, I mean, don't really either. This isn't the type of show where I'm going to nitpick its its fire dynamics because like it's a butcher yeah. shop. It's got gas and there's a fire and there's bullets and things caught on fire. Yeah, it was unfortunate, but it happened. Yeah, uh, it didn't. Like, it didn't even occur to me to question that till I saw some people like, "What the fuck is with the fire?" And like, I I just okay. don't care. It, the butcher shop burnt down and it was cool, so we're going to pretend like it was a totally plausible thing to do. But then, yeah, at the end, we got the, you know, 
Ed and Peggy are going to go downtown and talk to the the police because there's sirens and they're they're surrounded. I was kind of yeah. surprised that they put themselves in that box, but you know, it seems like that's what confident, secure showrunners like to do. Sure, put their characters in knots and then and get them out of it. If Fargo feels like Christmas to me, does it feel like Christmas to you? I mean, it's snowy. Yeah. It's snowy and there's a lot of red. It's yeah. Maybe a different kind of red. And green with like the, the trees, with the, with the evergreen it's more trees. of the Shaun of the Dead kind of red, but... You know, it's it's uh, it, it feels Christmassy. Sure. And the the, the thing about Christmas is uh, you got to give people presents. And you got to... Up until the modern age, you've always had to go out and interface with other people. You, you want to give gifts to the people you care about. But there's these other billions of people that you don't care about, and you have to interface with them to get stuff. And they're driving cars, and you're driving cars, and there's traffic snarls. Mm-hmm. And, and Crushing deaths. I don't like crushing those deaths, things. People yeah. killing themselves for flat panels, TVs, and, and dolls that talk. Who wants it? That, Not that, me. That brings me down. Yeah. You know how you can avoid it? Going to Amazon.BaldMove.com, which is the cool way to get to Amazon. <laughs> and, and when you do it that way, you, you, you uh, get our... Uh, a merchant account embedded in your shopping cart, and then we siphon a couple pennies off of the Amazon process. It doesn't cost you anything. I got to stress that. You might yeah. think, oh, I see this. This is one of those things where uh, I'm buying pet food and I'm being asked to give a dollar towards starving children. Yeah. Or, you know, a dollar to save whales or the environment. Like, I, I, I just, I'm just here to buy pet food. No, that, it, it's nothing like that. We just, it, we, we skim it off the top before it even gets to your wallet. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to support uh, Bald Move. We get, a ton. We get a third of our operating revenue. If I want to sound real corporate, if I want to sound like those Kansas City stiffs. We get it's a- it's one of the major legs that this company is still standing on. You've yeah, got three legs. That our podcasting empire is still wobbling on, and that, that's that's one. And and you can get some benefit because it's it's if you're a Prime member, it's a two day shipping. If you start, it, it doesn't matter. If you order something for Christmas now, it's going to get to you. But as as yeah, if, if yeah. you're a procrastinator like me, the closer you get, like oh god, I forgot that niece that just got born this year. How did I do that? You can go on Amazon. They got the two day shipping that works surprisingly close to Christmas. You'd think like yeah, oh yeah. well, all bets are off if you wait to the twenty second. But eh, maybe maybe you're, yeah. you're, you're you're still you're still about to you, you could disappoint your niece. Yeah. But the twentieth, they'll get it there, no problem. Sure. Probably, I mean, Bezos might be tearing his hair out. Like he'll he'll be fuck you. We'll get it out. This you, you want you order twenty second to the, the Christmas Eve. I'm just saying, like for me, as your friend, I'd say order by the twentieth at the at the bare minimum. But the mm-hmm. point is, you go to Amazon.BaldMove.com and do all your Christmas shopping without ever leaving your couch. You're still watching TV. It's perfect, and you're supporting us at the same time. It's great. Amazon.BaldMove.com. Uh, shall we do some feedback? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, if you'd like to send us feedback, you can do so Fargo at baldmove.com, and also you can go and have a discussion uh, on forums.baldmove.com. Double A Ron W. That's a lot. That's Whoa. a mouthful. Uh, said, did you catch this article? He links an article on vulture.com uh, about actors being cast against type. I and saw it. I didn't read it. It talks about this uh, Bokeem guy who's playing Mike Milligan. Yeah. Uh, he's been terrific at playing against type. He's like, I also noticed that many larger name actors are getting relegated to minor roles, whereas media roles like Dot are going to not as well-known actor- actors, and so far it's working. I read the article, and I thought it was interesting because I've never really thought about typecasting and why it happens. Hmm. And this one... even, even in the context of Jesse Plemons? Well, no, yeah, I feel like I, you've thought about that I've plenty. thought about typecasting, but I never thought about why... Why does a casting agent 
why did they like instead of seeing why do they let it happen why is like hey we need a, a doofus I know Jesse Plemons. <laughs> I got of, the perfect guy for you. It's like so. I always thought in terms of like laziness, it's just like uh, uncreativity. But there's another. Okay. Um, I forget who it was. I can't remember if it was an actor or if it was, as a casting agent. We said, look at it this way, because I'm familiar. Like uh, you know, in the technology field, there's a saying: no one ever got fired for suggesting Microsoft. Okay, sure. You say, hey, I want to roll a Linux stack solution with Postgres, and it's going to be great and all that. Then it's like, if it fails, it's you're the one that did the frou-frou weirdo bullshit. But if you stick with Cisco and Microsoft and, and Oracle and whatnot, then if it gets fucked up, well, it's not your decision to fuck it up. It's just you know a hard problem. This is kind of that – like, so if you get a guy – you want a, a cop roll – you can get the guy who's played ten cops, mm-hmm. and then if the material's shitty, you can you're not gonna you're not gonna get blamed by uh, or if the guy bombs, you're not gonna be like, well, why did you put this guy? It's like you you, you made the obvious decision, even yeah. if it's maybe the material and all that. Whereas if you cast some weirdo and the role doesn't work because of the material or whatever, then it's like, well, you cast some weirdo as a cop. Of course, it wasn't believable. Sure. So it's almost like a little. It's not just anti-creative. It's also that you know. Casting agents fear for their job, and so do d- directors, and yeah, so that do makes producers sense. and showrunners. Everyone's afraid of like making the decision that's clearly your fault. Rather, it's like why do why do coaches punt on fourth and short when they're behind and they're in enemy territory? Because no one gets fired for punting; you get fired for putting your offense and, and not converting. Then it's your fault you lost, rather than you know just one more thing in the game. Yeah, I also feel like there's a lot of just like you got a good thing going, kid. Don't don't push it, you know. Like you you've proved yourself in this field, so keep going with that. Yeah, like you don't you don't switch up what you're doing when you're just getting started. That that's probably why a lot of stars, as they get more into their careers, kind of branch out more. Yeah, if you're getting typecast, you you get dissatisfied with that. But that but. There's there's a lot about this Bokeem Woodbine guy who said he was just like when he got cast in the script, he just kept on looking at Fargo, Fargo. They cast a black guy in Fargo. <laughs> like, it was just something stunning because he's like, when he's reading uh-huh. the roles, like, I can't believe this can go to some, like, you know, chubby Italian guy. Sure. Like, this is what this thing was rolled, written for. It's not written for me. Uh-huh. Uh, and, like, the fact that they're taking these risks and, and paying off big is uh, super, super interesting. Same thing with, like, Ted Danson, who's been you know, sarcastic and charismatic and, you know, sexual athlete and all that thing in his career. Mm-hmm. Now he's playing this kind of, like, grandfather. Um, I, it's a great yeah. article. It's on Vulture.com. I'll actually link it in the show notes. Um, it's from this month's Vulture. Mark in Omaha has a question that's been bothering me since episode two in this season and made me do about 45 minutes to an hour's research into Vietnam and scratching my head. Uh, Lou and Hank are sifting or sitting on the porch talking about their respective war experiences. Hank in World War II and Lou in Vietnam. Fair enough. Lou talked about his experiences on a patrol boat, and I thought I heard him say 1974. I confirmed, this is Aaron speaking, that he did, was talking about 74. Okay. As a college student with a low draft lottery number in 1973, I remember listening to the bells of the college I was attending ringing that spring to signal the end of the war. Uh, checking online, the last military activity was in August 1973 with the United States. The Vietnam War raged until 75, but less and less American involvement, more and more South, South Vietnamese uh, huh. doing the fighting. There's only three expl- explanations if I heard right. One, the writers screwed up. 
I think it's unlikely, as it's unnecessary to say, a date of service. Two, Lou is lying, or mistaken, but this seems unlikely. Three, Lou is some kind of special forces operator who was doing some black ops work and maybe special forces. Mm. That makes Lou a more dangerous guy. Uh, and so I did the same kind of research, and as far as I could tell, I found some statistics from archives.gov, and there's this casualty statistics where they break down every death and every war, and they do it by age and by race and by battle and by mm. – but you can also do it by year. There was one American serviceman killed in action in 1974. One? One. Uh, okay. So That's not a lot. Unless this is literally the guy – that got killed on this patrol boat for lighting yeah. up the cigar. Now, they could, like, if it's... I, I just wonder, like, that, that does lend a little credibility to... Because the other thing that patrol boats did is take Navy SEALs upriver to do, you know, black op-type stuff. Okay. And that doesn't necessarily imply that Lou is a Special Forces badass, but maybe he's got mm-hmm. experience. I don't know. It's an interesting theory. Yeah, it's surprising. Uh... Now, the other thing is I saw on Wikipedia that they listed like 174 hmm. servicemen killed because they also break the war down by by year. But I actually looked in the the official military statistics, and maybe I'm reading them wrong, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I can also, I guess, include the, the link from the .gov site for that too. But interesting theory. Interesting theory. Uh, Eric J. says, I know there's speculation in Season 1 that fish were a harbinger of death. And I think it's been mentioned more than once that the butcher shop doesn't sell fish. Yeah. What do you make of that? Does it represent Dodd's lie to his family about Ed the butcher? Or if the fish is a Christian symbol, and the first season played with the idea of good and evil, is the lack of fish representative of how morally gray the second season is? Hmm. I don't know about you, Jim, but I prefer to think that Noah Hawley is a big, bald move fan, and this is just a implicit promise. Like, God's rainbow. I will yeah. not send the fish NATO. <laughs> just... I will not send the fish NATO unto season two. Rest easy, Aaron. Yeah. The aliens might, but I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, I can't be held responsible <laughs> for alien inv- involvement. I mean, aliens can make peace between the United States and Russia. They can certainly conjure fish NATO. Hell yeah. But I myself will not do it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, or so- maybe it'll be like one that is like like literally God did. It's like I won't I won't destroy humanity with a flood, but I reserve the right to do it by fire or some other calamity. Sure. Is it also maybe the idea that Ed gets out of this, situ- this situation alive, like? We don't sell fish here. Ed's not going to die here. What's if, if they're a harbinger of death, like he's saying? Ah, okay. I mean, someone dies in there, but it's not Ed. It's not. It's our... no one affiliated with the butcher shop. Yeah. Hmm. That's as good a take as any. Because honestly, I don't. I, other than my joke uh, theories, sure. I don't have a good one. So I, I don't think that's particularly good one anyway. But all right. Uh, I can see Ed being the last man standing. He's the rhinoceros. Oh man, he's the not rhinoceros, the anti rhino. Yeah. Danny H said, I think they want us to believe that the Sioux Falls massacre will have something to do with the Gerhardt War, but this seems a bit too obvious. The mob territory war doesn't really chime in with the way old Lou spoke about the event in season one. He spoke as if it's some kind of malevolent evil at work, which just doesn't fit well. I think it's more likely, if they evade the police, that Ed and Peggy will be the people behind the massacre. Two ordinary people going down an evil path seems to work more with them telling a story to... Malvo, in reference to the events of Season 1. I had a terrible but hilarious thought about the alien plot. Lauren Malvo always seems supernatural, so how terrible would it be if he beamed down from a spaceship at the end of the season? Okay. We'd have to change the f- phrase jumping the shark to beaming the Malvo. 
<laughs> if such a terrible thing were done. Are you sure, Danny, that you could not get down with with Billy Bob Thornton beaming down in, in a <laughs> shaft of light? In a big furry coat. Uh, he continues, I think it's more likely this will resolve with Peggy being abducted at the end of the season after committing an awful crime and betraying Ed but evading capture herself. That's interesting. Like, she gets off, but she ends up getting disappeared by the aliens. Much like Lester fa- huh. falling through the ice after repeatedly getting away. It's out there, but they've got to go somewhere with it now, right? I like that thing at the end. Like, that would be really interesting. If uh, yeah, you know, she wants to live this more interesting life and get away from Ed, and she does, and she ends up being put in an alien zoo or you know probe. For yeah, the rest I don't think we're going to see any kind of like Futurama type ending to this. Uh, Futurama, but it could be. Uh, I mean, that's Slaughterhouse Five. Like that's okay. If you sure. can go more highbrow than this, you can. Than, <laughs> you can. Than the Simpsons is all I'm saying, or Futurama. Yeah, uh, I don't know. So Lucy seeing evil everywhere, right? Like he's talking about the evil of the world creeping physically into his wife like yeah he's seeing evil all over the place so maybe he's just interpreting it as an evil thing that happened when in fact it was kind of a hilarious comedy of events mm-hmm. <laughs> that lead to it uh so we talked about josh b uh accidental overdose theory uh, that's a good one liz g so i thought Peggy and ed's house would burn to the ground when i saw those stacks of magazines in the basement it's interesting that the butcher shop burned instead that's a good point. That's a fire hazard. Yeah, I was thinking Ed might make her like sell some of these magazines to pay for the butcher shop, mm. but they didn't go that route. Yeah, it's just there to show that she's kind of crazy hoarding these magazines. Yeah. To what? I mean, is that just... I think it's a personality Texture and color to her I character? I think so, yeah. Because I'm already of the opinion that she's crazy. Yeah. This, this is just the cement to reinforce that, I guess. Mm. I want, he's like, you don't think this is going to be, like, you, you remember that scene in The Wire where uh, Omar goes to prison and he thinks he's being jumped by these guys and it turns out that they've got a bunch of phone books and they make crude body armor for him so he'll, they, they were actually sent there to, do you remember that thing? No, I don't remember yeah, any of that. Yeah, they start duct taping, like, phone books around his chest and his major arteries and, like, you know, so, like, it's shiv armor, essentially. This I, it's becoming apparent to me that I need to rewatch the wire because I don't do. remember any references it's the that you're high making. Def version now, it's it's awesome. <laughs> okay. So anyway, yeah. Do you feel I'm going like that? Like Peggy will have these stupid magazines in a bag, or uh-huh. that she holds up to try to, and it's going to deflect gunfire because she's got like six inches of wood. Okay. Paneling in there. I've seen MythBusters. I know that you. It's tough to shoot through magazines or phone books. I mean, anyway. you got a rifle or something, but yeah, like you know, uh, a, a couple magazines will stop small arms fire. And I think shotguns, like shotgun, yeah, they, sure. they do sufficient stoppage of shotguns which Depend- the kitchen brothers are toting so ah, true we've seen true. a lot of shotgun action this season um yeah i wouldn't i hmm. it just depends how close they are because man it's hard to it's hard to overestimate the sheer devastation sure uh shot <laughs> double lot buck shot can do and, to <laughs> something at close range and she doesn't have six phone books in her bag she's no. got a couple of magazines no, so she could get, you know that's what i'm saying a stack of magazines is like you know three four five six inches Thick. Yeah. Anyway, crazy theory time. Uh, Liz G continues. How soon before Floyd realizes Dot is lying to her? Her grief is in her mm-hmm. way right now. Bears questioning things. Try to talk to Hansy. I think he'll figure things out. Will he tell Floyd, or will Floyd also figure it out? Dot's bound to slip up again and make a mistake and say something he didn't intend to say. 
they kind of played around with that with this episode too, where he's like, you know, when they uh, when they know he's dead, or I mean, killed him. I mean, yeah, it feels like that's got to happen. I mean, I, I can't imagine Dodd just run, steamrolling this whole family and them never finding out, right? Yeah, it just depends on how many people keep dying. It's just less dramatic if they don't ever find out. Yeah, I'm just, but yeah, I've, hmm. I'm trying to think what, how quickly they're going to be able to figure out that this butcher guy is not a real butcher or not the, you know, hitman that they think he is because they'd have to talk to the girl or they'd have to talk to Charlie. And is Charlie going to remember, like, you know, how he got out? Or is he going to know that? Or are the police going to tell him? I'm trying to think of, like, how they will be able to figure out that this guy's not the butcher. Because I could see them hmm. for another episode or two at least that this is yeah. actually has the opposite effect. This totally sells the fact that sure. we got this badass assassin. He's in police custody. How are we going to kill him? Yeah. So what about Ben Schmidt? Could he be a link between law enforcement and Ed and the Gerhards? I mean, we know he's a link. We know that he's in law enforcement. His mother has a relationship with the Gerhards. Yeah. Could he be the one who, like, lets it slip that, yeah, Ed had – Ed's a fool. Ed has nothing to do with this. He's not a butcher of Laverne. That's true, especially nothing if he shows like up to the Gerhardt camp without Lou. I mean, I don't – I don't or know that if, he's in the vicinity, but maybe like him and Lou are the connection. Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see Ben get bought. I could totally right now. See I don't that. feel like he's dirty in the literal sense of the yeah, word. He's just so he's intimidated, just scared, and intimidated like he would be. But the yeah. next step would be briefcase full of cash. You make this Lou problem go away for us. That's and I'm not saying kill possible. Lou. Obviously, I'm saying like yeah. you know running around in circles and being more of a hindrance than just a coward. Uh, she continues, Liz does. I used to watch Jeffrey Donovan, who's playing Dodd and Bruce Campbell, which played Ronald Reagan, I think goes without saying, on Burn Notice. They're playing two very different characters now in Fargo. <laughs> I bet they're having fun working on the same show again, even though they're not in scenes together. Maybe they see one another in passing. I could see a Dodd and Reagan scene. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. It'd be hilarious if he had the exact same effect on Dodd he does everybody. Like, <laughs> turns Dodd him into turns a giggling... Into, yeah. <laughs> giggling uh, pile of goo she mentions a burn notice is a usa show about former cia agents on the outs with the government who in their spare time help people who are wrong essentially a reboot of the a-team it sounds like hmm. uh she says also never watched macgyver but i've read articles comparing donovan's character to macgyver because donovan's ability to make something explosive for example out of items found on an office desk uh sounds like burn notice is fun okay that's i haven't all. seen any of it that's, uh, that's so. i just you know Wanting to uh, round out the cast with the discussion about uh, uh, this uh, Jeffrey Donovan, who it's funny because I I remember people talking about oh Jeffrey Donovan, Jeffrey Donovan. I didn't recognize him under all this Dodd facade, <laughs> but I I I've I've known this guy for a long time, seen him in a bunch of stuff, and I just kind of like the same way with uh, uh, Samson. Yeah, was it Angus Samson? Uh-huh. Never would have made the connection. Yeah, uh, the only other thing I've seen him in is a movie where he shoves heroin up his butt. Right. right. Uh, but he's a totally different character. Well, he's also... Have you seen the new Mad Max Fury Road? No. He has a a part, a, a, a pretty... I mean, it's not a major part. There's not that many major parts in the movie, but he's he's got a memorable about right. role in that one as well. Yeah, I could see him being a freakish, post-apocalyptic lunatic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, obstetrician, in this case. Uh, 
I think that's it. Okay. Fargo at baldmove.com or forums.baldmove.com if you'd like to uh, share us your thoughts. Sure. Share with us your thoughts. Share us. Share us your thoughts. Yeah, we'll be back next week on Wednesday with the Rhinoceros cast. Mm. See how that all goes down. Mm-hmm. Kind of curious. Uh, and until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you.